Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. I'd like um, just to say the message in a sentence is this. Jesus demonstrates seven kingdom principles through his walking on the water at Lake Gennesaret. Jesus demonstrates seven kingdom principles through or by walking on the water at Lake Gennesaret. Now, you might be thinking or saying, what in the world is Lake Gennesaret? It's just simply the Sea of Galilee. And it's on the northern part of the, what is called the Holy Land. I just used Lake Gennesaret because I wanted at least one four-syllable word in the message, okay? That's why. A couple of introductory thoughts. This is a scenario. This is uh, where Jesus had just taught and then fed five to 15,000 people. He was on the east, excuse me, the west and sort of southern part of the Sea of Galilee. He had these people gather following him because of his miracles, it says. This is earlier in Mark chapter 6. And they were blown away by what they heard and what they saw of Jesus and his ministry. And some of them truly believed. And if you're wondering, why is uh, Mike saying five to 15,000? Well, it says 5,000 men, and there were probably spouses or women who were just simply single, and then children, and in that scenario, you figure, okay, one woman for every man, one, uh, one, and this is probably very low, child for all of these. And so it's 15,000. It could have been up to 25,000 people that Jesus fed at that scene. So this miracle had already occurred. The people uh, are now uh, milling about and Jesus does some things. This is the same as some other large crowds that Jesus taught and fed. In another gospel account, there are 4,000 that he taught and fed through a miracle. And so these kingdom principles are not only truths to be known intellectually, but they're truths to be experienced, to respond to, to obey. So in order to get the context, would you kindly turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, and allow me uh, just to handle a matter um, and this is not to embarrass it. Ted, am I doing anything wrong because of the hum? 
just life? Okay. I wasn't trying to embarrass you, brother. In fact, one of the things that is tough, if you serve on the video tech crew or the audio tech, they always get the attention when there's a challenge. <laughs> so what I would like you all to do is give a round of thanks and applause for the audio techs and video techs. And um, as I say at other churches when I'm teaching, uh, the mic problems are me, <laughs> not them. <laughs> Some of you will get that at 3 a.m., okay? <laughs> and you'll sit up and say, oh! And one more on that. My wife, Margie, deals with mic problems every day. <laughs> so, I would like to read from the screen, and you can follow along either on the screen or in your Bibles and electronic devices. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So this is after that uh, teaching and feeding miracle. And go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Wow. Ouch. I'll explain that in a little bit. So, let's look at these seven kingdom principles. Here we go. Principle number one. Jesus is in charge. Simple enough. Mark 6.45 said he made his disciples get into the boat because Jesus made them or directed them to get into the boat. He is demonstrating this kingdom principle. I'm in charge. I had a friend back um, who worked with me in the youth. I was a youth pastor when we first moved to Philadelphia, uh, excuse me, from Philadelphia to here, Frederick area and Frederick County, 27 years ago. And uh, by the way, that's why uh, we lived in Philadelphia for 14 years, and I grew up near Hershey, Pennsylvania, and so this has nothing to do with the message, but I, I always like to share this. So I cheer and root for all four of the Philadelphia sports teams. 
And uh, okay, I heard one woo and, and two woos and one amen. <laughs> and the rest of you uh, put down the rotten tomatoes that you're getting ready to throw. At Potomac Believers Fellowship, there are that many Redskins, excuse me, um, commanders. There are that many commanders slash Redskins fans that when I talk about the Eagles, they actually boo me. <laughs> you at least had respect. I'm going to tell them about you. <laughs> that you had respect not to boo me. And our son-in-law and daughter attend there and are members and very active. And Amy is, her, is our daughter's name. She's an Eagles fan. Wouldn't you know it? And, and a rabid one. She married a Redskins fan. And there's a whole lot of Christian forgiveness going on there. And one other thing that happens when I'm preaching there, our son-in-law, his name is Josh, wonderful man, godly man, but he's one of the loudest ones to boo. <laughs> and he's an elder. What's up with that? So I had this friend back at Grace Community Church that would say, God is large and in charge, and I am not. And that's what Jesus is helping them understand here. He gives them rowing orders, I was gonna say marching orders, but he makes them get into the boat, he directs them, and he's demonstrating that he's in charge. Now why did he direct them to get into the boat and go across Lake Gennesaret. Well, he had some lessons for them to learn. He also simply here wanted to show them that in the kingdom living, in order for us to be maturing, in order for them, his disciples, to be growing, was to learn that he was the one giving directions not they. And isn't it hard, really, when we get vulnerable to take directions? I'm an older guy, and I serve as a pastor, and I still struggle wanting to do it the Frank Sinatra way. You know what that is. Uh, it's an old song. Uh, Frank Sinatra was, never mind. He, <laughs> he, he did have a great voice. And one of the songs he's known for is, I Did It My Way. Beautiful song, but it's not kingdom living. But sadly, I still sing that or practice that. How about you? Second principle, Jesus needs spiritual refueling. Now, Jesus Christ in this setting, because he needed spiritual refueling, is showing his 100% humanity. Remember, one of the things that is impossible to fully understand about the Christ, the Lord, is that he's 100% humanity and 100% deity or divine. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. 
But in, he, in, in Jesus needing refueling here, he's demonstrating he's 100% man. How do we see that? Well, he's drained. To teach 5,000, 25,000 people, remember they didn't have mics and speakers, so he's bellowing, probably one of those beautiful natural uh, stadium or arena type, because Jesus was not stupid. So he probably providentially got them at a place where there were hills surrounding. But he's still miraculously and beautifully teaching. And then he feeds uh, 15,000 or more with five loaves and two fishes. That's draining. That's very wearisome. Plus, he's performing not only this miracle and he's the Christ, but these people, and I'm going to say more later on, they wanted him not to show that he was God. In fact, they didn't quite get that, that he was the Christ. They were looking for a political deliverer. They were looking for a president that thought the way they did. They were looking for a leader, a ruler, a political deliverer to deliver them from Jews who were mean and cruel like the leaders who foisted legalism and rules on them and looking for a deliverer to deliver them from the Roman Empire. And over in the other gospel, according to John verse 15, it says they were ready to force him to be king. Not King Jesus the Christ who would deliver spiritually, but King Jesus who would deliver them from the Romans. And that's wearisome when people don't get you and they did not get or understand Jesus principle number three Jesus sees his children so in in this verse it says and seeing them straining at the oars these guys are all kinds of vocations but at least uh, four of them are fishermen And it is believed that those fishermen had been doing it for a while, and it took a lot of work and a lot of pulling in of nets. So those guys were probably built like weightlifters. You know, the opposite of me. You know, big up here, and probably their gut was really tight. What's that called? Abs, you know. Is it a six-pack, 12-pack, six-pack? Thank you. My son-in-law, thank you. My son-in-law lifts, uh, I do not. But in this, they're straining at the oars. I want to give something that, guys, I had missed before I prepared this. Verse 47 says it was evening, when he sent them away and he went up on a mountain to pray. Another passage, a gospel account about this miracle says it was getting dark, but it was evening. Let's call it around 9 p.m. And Jesus is on land on a mountaintop 
and they're in the middle of the sea, and he sees them, his children, straining at the oars. Yet, yet, it's evening, and I want to point out something in a little while. There, about the timing. But they're on the sea, middle of the sea, probably a mile, could be two miles, maybe more, but they're a ways away, and he sees them, literally. That's a miracle in itself. It's getting dark. You can't see beyond at least, I don't know what the distance, but he sees them close up right within his humanity his deity is functioning and the father god gives him divine ability and divine power to be aware of his disciples and sees them we have a scenario often when we're going through a difficult circumstances don't you wonder does anyone see this is anyone aware of this? The answer is yes. Even though I don't see him, he's working. Let me adjust the words. Even when I don't see him, he sees me. Even when I don't feel him, he sees me. He never stops. He never stops seeing you mindful in charge and large and in charge of the universe creator and he saw them and he sees you and me the fourth principle Jesus moves toward his children he came to them remember He's on a mountain. He's praying for it because he needs refueling. And it's evening, 9 p.m. But note, Jesus came to them, and in that verse, 48, it says, he came to them at the fourth watch. That's 3 to 6 a.m. What? in the world was Jesus doing from 9 p.m. to 3 to 6 a.m.? Well, we know he was praying, but why did he wait that long? Was he cruel? When Jesus waits that long to respond to us, it's not only six to nine hours have you ever waited for something for six to nine days? Six to nine months? Six to nine years? Now, Jesus moves toward them, but his purpose of waiting six to nine hours was not because he's cruel. It was 
he would move toward them in his time. He waited to respond. Why? Because his timing is perfect. His plan is perfect. He has lessons and growth for us. The Peter letters, first and second Peter, the letter written by James, all have to do with waiting, enduring, and hanging in there during tests. In fact, it's one of the most joyful and one of the most difficult verses in the Bible in James chapter 1. Consider it all joy when you enter into an array of variegated colors of tests. That's one of those verses that when you see the consider it all joy and, and you're reading it for the first time, you say, wow, what, I can't wait. What am, what am I counting joy? And then it says when you get into, when you enter into various trials. He, Jesus, had a test for them to have them grow. That's what James 1 says. That purpose of experiencing tests, trials, and suffering, so does Peter say it, is for our growth, for our maturity, for our lessons in kingdom living to trust God and not ourselves. The disciples wrestle a lot with self-reliance. And we do too. Jesus, in another uh, account in the Gospels, is teaching that we aren't to be like the system of the world. He says, we're not like those who aren't God followers. We are to serve. We are to be the least in the kingdom and not the greatest. <laughs> and the mother of James and John and another account in the gospel says James and John themselves were talking soon after that lesson of not to be the greatest, but to be the least, to be a servant of all. And James and John, after their mother went first, go, when the kingdom comes in literally and we're, we're in heaven or reigning on earth, may we sit on your left and right hand? That's self-reliance. That's saying, I want position and recognition. And here, Jesus knew and said in love or thought and planned in love, I'll let them strain at the oars because I want to teach them that I will move toward them, but in my timing. It's one of the most difficult guys, if you miss anything else, one of the most difficult things in our kingdom walk is being in the waiting room. It's hard to wait. It's hard for us 
to experience pain for nine hours, nine days. Some of you are sitting here and you're experiencing pain physically, emotionally, or mentally right now. Right now. And you're waiting. And you've been praying. It's hard to wait for a loved one to come to Christ. To trust Christ as Savior and Lord, a parent, a son or daughter, an uncle, an aunt. And you are longing, or your spouse, you are longing for them, pleading in God's prayer room, throne room. Oh God, save them. Let me offer you a little story that's huge to give you hope that Jesus does move toward his children. Now, as a little boy, I would stay at Grandma Brubaker's house overnight a lot. That was my dad's uh, mother. And Grandma Brubaker, on her knees, and she'd ask me to come and pray with her. And this was at night before I would go to bed. And I'd hear her plead to God, Lord, my dad was her son, already a Jesus follower. His older brother, Jay, was not. And openly said, I don't do that because I've seen too many Christians live a worse life than I do. And so I don't need that. And he was disappointed with God, possibly, probably, and definitely disappointed with Christians. And she pleaded and pleaded for him and for his, their other brother, Jay. So it was John, my dad, Glenn, and Jay. She went to be with the Lord without seeing that any change. My mom would talk to Uncle Glenn and say, don't you want to trust Christ as Savior and Lord? And I would hear her and Dad, when they were praying, pray for Glenn's, Uncle Glenn's salvation. Years later, when Margie and I were celebrating our 25th anniversary, we were traveling back to, at that time uh, to Frederick, we stayed overnight with Uncle Glenn. And he shared a testimony um, what's that word when you don't? But I, I did, we didn't solicit it. We didn't ask. He just started talking about trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord. And so here it is. We're married 25 years. I was a little boy. 40 years later. 40 years of pleading. Are you saying, Mike, do I, must I wait 40 years for my pain to go away? No, I'm not saying that. Must I wait 40 years for this loved one to become a Jesus follower and live for the king? No, but what I am saying is we, you and I, will have to wait on God's timing. He moved toward Uncle Glenn and drew Uncle Glenn to himself 
but it took a long time. Kingdom living is saying, not my will, but your will be done. The fifth principle, Jesus speaks courage to his children. He speaks three things. He was succinct and to the point. Not like today's preacher. I am wordy. Use a lot of words to say one thing. Uh, get this. When my wife was a teenager, I don't know why she had this thought. God was preparing her. But she would think this regularly. You know, uh, she did, I've been told many um, girls younger than teenagers and teenagers dream about getting married. And one of the things she wanted was a guy who talked more than she did. Holy cow, did she ever get her wish. I mean, Margie, uh, we're, uh, we break all the molds and the stereotypes. In fact, um, we're very um, politically correct because women too often get teased of talking a lot and, and, and teased on that, and it, it's inappropriate most of the time. You'll get that at 3 a.m. <laughs> we'll be at a place... Well, if Margie were here today, eventually she'd be out in the car and she'd be waiting and waiting and waiting because I'd be in here and, and I'm a guest preacher but I'd be here until the last one of you is gone and she'd ha she has people come up to you to her excuse me and say are, are you frustrated because you must wait on him he's back there gabbing and she'll go no it's actually a wish of mine when I was a teenager so, and he's an answer to prayer. So now you understand why she gets all the grace gifts when she gets to heaven <laughs> and all of the rewards. And, and the words from God to her would be, oh, my dear daughter, welcome home, and how in the world did you do it? <laughs> That's my holy imagination. So he speaks succinctly and listen to what he says. Principle five, take courage. It's I, don't fear. A three-point sermon, two words each. What a beautiful thing for someone who's obsessive. I have a bit of, of compulsion, obsessiveness. In fact, I'm surprised I didn't go around and straighten out anything. And so here we go. Take courage. It's I. Don't fear. Take courage. Receive it. Take it like a gift. It's I. I'm Jesus. He probably had to say it pretty loud because the storms were raging. The wind was humongous and fierce. It's Jesus the Lord, not a ghost. 
Because that's what they thought. Not a perpetrator. I've taken the doctor's oath. Do no harm. I'm not here to harm you. And don't fear. You know when uh, I get afraid, my gut literally tightens. How about you? I believe Jesus said, let your gut relax, men. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Principle number six. Jesus is with us in rough times, tough times, impossible times. He got into the boat with them. And as he got into the boat, the, war, the wind stopped. The storm ceased. Another miracle. He gets into the boat because he knows that these men need proximity. Even though they were strong, sort of manly, men's men, you know, sort of like Tim the Tool Man Taylor, or, 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 or. But they were still human beings. And we human beings, men and women, need proximity. We need Jesus invisibly, but one of the reasons why we all are to imitate Jesus is we're to be Jesus with skin on because people need proximity. People need touch. You and I need touch. Jesus realizes that, and he not only moves toward them, but he gets into the boat with them. He is with you and me right now. He's in proximity. This dovetails, you remember the meaning of fellowship? And fellowship is mentioned different times. In fact, one of the pictures of New Testament communion and the three parts of it. Jesus, when he's teaching on washing one another's feet, says, oh, this washing of feet for one another is to show that we have fellowship. It's not to get washed away of, in order, the sins away in order to be saved or in order to have initial salvation, no. It's a picture of our sins as Christians being cleansed so we're in fellowship with God. And guess what fellowship means? You might already know. Being in the same boat with one another. He knew that these uh, disciples who were freaked out of their minds needed to be in the same boat with him and he in the same boat with them. And he did it. Principle number seven, Jesus has authority over the physical world. It says in verse 52, and uh, that's what I said uh, when we read the scriptures together, I'm going to comment on they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves because their hearts 
were hardened. They didn't get that Jesus had power or authority over the physical world. Oh, they saw it. They saw him multiply five loaves and two fishes. That's the physical world. And feed 15 to 20,000 or more men and women and children. They saw him get into the boat and the storm stopped. Look at the miracles that they witnessed that showed he had power over the physical world. He feeds the 15,000 out of five loaves and two fishes. He sees, well, they didn't know this yet, but he sees them a mile or so away. He's on a mountain there in the Sea of Galilee, straining at the oars. He walks on the water. They think it's a ghost forgetting that Jesus had power and authority over physics. And he calms the storm instantly, and the text says they're amazed, astonished. And before I get, or you get too cynical about him, I still get amazed when God answers a prayer and does a miraculous or beautiful thing. How about you? And that has to do with we still don't get it all. Our understanding can still be insensitive or dull. I wish it was sharp all the time. I wish I was the kind of kingdom living person. I was going to say kingdom liver, but that sounds like an organ, you know. Like, and you, never mind. Did I uh, tell you I have a little bit of attention deficit? And so my mind... You know, we'll go, there goes a squirrel. <laughs> uh, I was talking about that once at a small group. I, I hope you're at a small group. I, I don't know what you call them here, home groups, small groups, because they're very meaningful for growth. And I was sharing a story about um, myself. I forget what it was. And that evening, as I was sharing, I was rather vulnerable, but I was jumping around and, and having trouble focusing. And, and I saw some of the small group sort of grinning. You know, they were, we, we had been together a long time, so it was okay to grin when I was jumping around. You know, don't do that to a guest, okay? And so I thought, oh, I've never explained to them. So I wanted to say, uh, I have uh, ADD. I'm not, I'm not mocking it, because some of us here have that, or our, our children struggle with it. It's a very real thing. But instead of saying that, I said, oh, by the way, to help you understand me, I have HVAC. <laughs> and he, HV, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. Oh, no, I have ADD. And uh, from then on, um, if, if there was a joke and, and I, they, I was struggling saying something, one of them would say, or at church in future weeks, that's all right, Pastor Mike, we know you have HVAC. So, in this seventh principle, getting past my HVAC, please note this that Jesus 
in his lesson teaching, in his waiting to come to them, in his waiting to come to you, in his long allowing us to be tested, Jesus wants us to learn in the kingdom principle the meaning of his very name. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Jehovah delivers. Jesus means Jehovah rescues. In or, and especially from sin, yes, but also in order to deliver, in order to rescue, he must and does have authority and power over all the physical world. He is large and in charge. He is sovereign, but that is not a cold principle. Now, what in the world are we to do? How do I respond to Jesus' qualities as seen in these seven kingdom principles? The Lord just laid this, put this on my heart, and I got so psyched, because this isn't merely from me, guys. This is Jesus. I mean, while preparing, he just blessed my socks off. He just blew them off. And I wasn't wearing sandals, okay? I actually had socks on. You see, the qualities, quality number one, or if you want letter A, since we've already had one through seven principles, his sovereignty. And sovereignty is often, um, oh, what's that word? Thought of as a theological word that's cold and distant. He's aloof. It does mean he's large. It does mean he's transcendent above it all. It does mean that he rules sovereign, a king. It does mean all of that. But listen, along with his sovereignty, he's always good. He's always merciful. The end of Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So, in these kingdom principles, how, what are we to respond in regard to his sovereignty? Submit. That's a tough word. And too often, sadly, that word's associated to a wife. And before all of that, of those roles of husbands and wives and getting along with each other. It says, submit to one another in Ephesians 5. But before all of that, the only way we can do that is be controlled by the Spirit. And so we submit or rank in under. It's a military term, by the way. And so officers who are in charge and the ones who rank in under aren't less than. They can often be more intelligent, more capable, but they have less rank, and so they rank in under. And we have less rank than the sovereign one, 
and we submit out of love. The second quality, it's up there, is he's 100% humanity. And we're to imitate. When we see Jesus in his full humanity, and he's drained beyond measure, he's weak, he experienced everything as we do as human beings, yet without sin, Hebrews. We're to imitate Jesus Christ, and that includes the attitude of prayer. Pray. Recently, uh, I, I started walking 12 months ago. Never had walked before for motion and exercise. Sorry to admit that. But I started walking a year ago. And as I walk, I find, and I, I walk um, alone, I find great privilege of praying. And it's helped me, and, and more than once and I, as I've been walking, um, an invisible tap comes on my shoulder. And I hear uh, Brubaker. Not literally, but in my spirit. It's God. When God has a loving correction, he calls me Brubaker. Okay? Just thought I'd inform you of that. When he has loving encouragement, he calls me Mike or Michael. Okay. But more than once while I've been walking in the last year, Brubaker. You've been trying to figure this out and figure this out, and you are so anxious, you are so tense and uptight. Have you thought of praying? And I haven't, but I wanted to do that, you know. Just, wow. Has that happened to you where you ruminate on something or perseverate on something or agonize on something and then you remember, I haven't prayed. To imitate is to pray and have an attitude of prayer. Third uh, quality of Jesus is his, his omniscience. He knows it all. Psalm 139 says, he knows it all, omniscience. He sees it all. He is present with us all, omnipresent. And he's all-powerful, omnipotent. And so, when we are under the strain of circumstances, awaiting, when we are under tremendous pressure, let's trust. Trust is waiting in an active way. Trust is having faith that to do this and fall totally backwards and God's going to catch us. Just like falling onto a Serta Perfect sleeper mattress. It's an old commercial. I'm not going to do it here because you'd hear an awful smack. But that's trust. That's faith. The fourth quality that we're seeing in these principal quality of Jesus is his love. His love is active. He moves toward us. 
isn't it sobering that many times when we don't know what to say and someone's going through a hard time and not, not purposefully, not because we don't like them, but we'll avoid them because we're afraid we'll say the wrong thing. And what happens is when we avoid them and not move toward them, they feel alienated and alone in their testing. They feel like, what did I do wrong? What did, what's wrong with me? And Jesus, when we're struggling, he moves toward us. Even when we've sinned against uh, him, excuse me, when we are uh, faithless, it says in the Timothy letter, he remains faithful. Jesus moves toward us. When, even when we're angry at him, when we're asking questions, he doesn't say, do this, fold his arms. No, he opens his arms and he moves toward us. He says, my son, my daughter, pound on my chest. In Psalm 56, he says he bottles our tears. That's moving toward us, not away. He doesn't say, oh, stop crying, son. Don't cry, daughter. He says, no, your tears are worth it. I understand suffering. I love you actively. I don't just feel love. Jesus says, I am love. And God the Father says, for God so loved the world. He initiates love. He moves toward you and me. And what should our response be? Oh, God, thank you. God, I lean on you. I lean on you. Just lean in on him, my dear brother or sister. Real quickly. Encouragement. Encouragement means to speak courage into someone else. Jesus did that. And what are we to do? Receive it. It's not a weak thing, it's a strong thing. These words, fear not, or don't be afraid, or don't fear, they, I don't think many times, sometimes they are a rebuke or a correction, but remember, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He disciplines, so he doesn't do rebuke out of anger or meanness. But we are to receive him speaking in, uh, courage into us, like receiving a gift. Compassion is the second last quality. Compassion is simply that he cares, he empathizes, and we rest in it. Let me ask you a question. Have you taken time to breathe? You say, I breathe all the time or I wouldn't be here. But I mean the breathing of... <sighs> Turn the TV off, the radio, the iPad. No, you don't turn the iPad off like that. <laughs> but the cell phone, every electronic device. Turn my mouth off. I wrote down, breathe, be still. 
And the final quality, power. Jesus has the ultimate power. And our response, surrender. Psalm 46.10, when it says, Be still and know that he is God, it actually, the original in the Hebrew language, says, uh, says literally, uh, cease striving. Very similar to the other one of resting. Cease striving. Stop resisting. Surrender. What do all seven of those responses interrelate to? I think they interrelate to bowing. Is your heart, is, are your knees little? There are some times when I am praying, I probably don't do it enough, where I literally need to get on my knees to have a fresh reminder, surrender. Surrender to the fact that he's sovereign, that he's human, that he's omniscient, that he loves that he speaks courage into, that he's compassionate, and that he's powerful. Pray with me. Lord, help us as we sing this final worship to you and praise to you. Oh, Lord, help us to have a position and a posture of bowing. Help us to lean in on you. Help us to respond to you in obedience and humility and bowing. We surrender to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.